Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. I'm your co-host, J.B. Brabham. And I'm Tyler Duncan. And today we have another really, really special guest. Um, he is the professor of trumpet at BYU, uh, that's Brigham Young University out in um, Utah. And we are so, so honored to have him on our episode today. And I just wanted to introduce the Dr. Jason Bergman. Dr. Bergman, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be yeah. with you guys. Yeah, we're yeah thank you so right. much. Yes, yes. So we know you're, you're a busy man these days. <laughs> No, there's always time for, for you guys, for sure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so before we get into, uh, you know, our, our questions for you about your career and your life and your studio, uh, Tyler and I like to start off with a little bit uh, talk about one of the things he and I both enjoy is coffee. Um, so Tyler, what, what are you drinking today? All right. So... Um, I ran out of filters for my Chemex, so I had to, uh, right now I'm doing the V60 pour over. Okay. Yeah, V60 uh, this week. So um, we got a bag of beans from Honduras. And in fact, I've never really tried Honduras before. So this is new for me. And um, some of the, it's, it's a light roast. Again, that's kind of my trending is, is more on the light to medium roast. But uh, yeah, it's good. Uh, flavored oats consists of berry, chocolate, and uh, it says sweet on there, but it is, it's obviously light roast, so it is going to be on the sweeter side, but I like it. And I got my master's mug whenever those events occur again. So, <laughs> well, I think that's <laughs> what about, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they're still doing some of that. Yeah. What about you? Um, so I have a, a new bag of beans. So I, I kind of cheated and told Tyler about this the other day, cause I was really excited about it. Um, so I found a new beanery here in town where I live. And there's this guy who has all these beans. He does the roasting himself and he sells everything wholesale. And it's just one guy in this one shop and he does his roasting. So I have, uh, he had this uh, freshly roasted when I went, he had roasted it that morning and it's um, from Bali and it's a medium roast. And he said, hey, just let me know. I can roast it. I can even deliver it to your place. So like, I'm really excited about this development in my life. <laughs> um, so it's like a, a, a pound of beans. It's called a beanery, um, but it's a pound of beans. And it's like really cheap. It's like 15 bucks for a pound of beans. And so I, I'm drinking the, the Bali's medium roast. It's actually really delicious. Um, so I'm like two uh, servings into that. So it's been great so far. So I'm really excited about this development. If you know me, I'm always looking for fresh beans. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. So Jason, do you drink any like tea or anything like coffee or? I, my main drink is water, but I've got it in my nice BYU glass here. Hey. I, I put yeah. a lemon in my water. <laughs> ah, um, nice. One of the awesome. things, sometime when you guys ever get out here to, to BYU, we'll take you to a place called the Creamery. And the Ooh. chocolate milk at the Creamery is like prime stuff. So that's, a, that's an every now and then treat. It's not coffee, awesome. but we make our own chocolate milk out here, and it's pretty cool. Okay, I'm down. Wow, that. that's cool. Chocolate milk. <laughs> I yeah, love there you go. Just period. So I'm like a chocolate. <laughs> milk. So nice. I have to be really careful with that. Awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, Jason, how did you get your start in music? This is kind of like the nuts and bolts. But how did you get your start in music, and then transitioning from high school to college, like? what made you decide to want to major in music? Cause I think everybody kind of has that moment, whether it's like 
oh, well, this is all I know. So let me try to do this. Or was there like a passion that was there from an early start that you're like, yeah, this is kind of the, the track that I want to go on? Yeah, you know, when I was young, like before junior high, uh, I had an aunt who was in high school, um, probably when I was in fourth grade. And she was in the marching band. I, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And mm. and she, she lived in Dallas and was in this marching band. She played trumpet in the band. And I remember we would go watch the halftime shows. And I remember thinking, that's pretty cool. I think I want to play the trumpet. And there, we don't have any professional musicians in my family. But my my mom and, and my grandpa had kind of played trumpet, you know, casually in high school and things. And so somebody that was, was really big for them was Doc Severinsen. And I remember having... Doc's records that we would listen to. And I remember hearing his sound and just thinking that was amazing. And every now and then, you know, there'd be a little bit that I could, get, could watch on the on the, the Tonight Show and hear and hear Doc play, and that was really amazing. And then about that time that I saw my aunt in marching band um, for Christmas, she made a tape of me of Wynton Marsalis, his first CD, the one his first classical one, the one that won the Grammy when he played Haydn and Hummel yeah. and Mozart. And I listened to that thing all the time, especially I remember, I remember the third movement of the Hummel, his recording, you know, just so impressive. And when you're a little kid, especially, you just think it's amazing. It, it really is. And so those were kind of s some influences that kind of got me thinking about trumpet. And then when it was time to go to sixth grade and start band, um, I knew I wanted to do band. I had kind of played football. If you know me, I'm a bigger guy, and they like me to be on the offensive line. <laughs> but playing trumpet didn't hurt the same way. So yeah. <laughs> um, now it crushes your soul. But back in, back then, it wasn't yeah. so physically tough. <laughs> um, but so I, I joined the band, and, and right away, I had a really good trumpet teacher. And it just kind of – some things kind of came natural, and I, I fell in love with it. And I, I knew pretty early that this is what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I remember before I even was out of middle school, I knew I wanted to do music. Um, and it, it's kind of gone through phases initially, kind of like most kids, I wanted to be a band director because my band director was such a great, you know, um, leader and, and, and example. Um, and then as I got into high school, I, I started playing in the greater Dallas youth orchestra and having experiences in the Texas all state groups and, um, kind of saw that I really wanted to perform more. I also, you know, I saw what my, my, my high school band directors had to deal with. I, I, I didn't love marching band. And somehow I was able to convince my, my band director to let me be a drum major so that I didn't have to like, so, so prideful. I, I didn't want to bl blow my chops in marching band. I wanted to save them <laughs> for excerpts. So, um, but I, I didn't want to have to do marching band and deal with, you know, attitude issues and high school kids. And I really wanted to play. So then you know, I, I went to school to, to do that. And then the longer I did that, the more I realized I really loved teaching and, and I wanted to be a college professor. So even though I was having success in professional auditions and kind of that was the road I was going, the longer I did that, the more I thought I, I really want to make an intentional choice to, to teach. And that's so, so somehow through all those different phases, I got to here and I feel so lucky. A lot of times when people, you know, say, how are you doing? I, I usually say something like I'm living the dream because I feel like it. I feel like I've been really blessed and um, I've tried to work as hard as I possibly can, you know, to make sure I'm qualified for whatever things I'm doing. But it, it's just, I mean, you guys know you're professional trumpet players and teachers and, and you know, like, it's just what a great way to, 
to spend your life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with Absolutely. cleaning toilets, but it sure beats cleaning toilets for a living for me. So yeah. maybe, maybe <laughs> there's somebody out there that has that dream, you know, or want to work their way up the, the McDonald's corporate ladder or be a lawyer or something, whatever. But man, playing trumpet, what a great life. And so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the broad view of how I got where I am. Awesome. So what has been your, your biggest takeaway either from a, a teacher or a, a particular degree from a school that you, you, you've taken away? What's been like the most uh, impactful? Well, I've, I've been very fortunate to have some really great teachers and um, all of them have played a really important you know, part from my very beginning teacher who was Woody Yenny in, in Dallas. And then, you know, in high school, I studied with him and then also took some lessons with Tom Booth in the Dallas Symphony. And um, my, the youth orchestra I conduct, that I was in, our conductor was Richard John Julio, who had been principal trump of the Dallas Symphony. And he's the creator of Trump Corps Mutes. And, you know, and then I did my undergraduate degree at BYU. My teacher there was David Brown. And when I was in here, I also studied with um, Newell Daly, who was the first trumpet teacher at BYU, and who's really, he studied with Jimmy Stamp, and he was a really good influence on me. And then also Nick Norton, who was principal trumpet of the Utah Symphony, and then Bill Campbell at Michigan. And then, you know, I've also studied a little bit with Paul Markello and Phil Smith, and really, they all influenced me tremendously. So it's hard to pick one thing, but I will, the one thing that came to my mind when you asked that question was, I, I remember going through college and, and especially graduate school at the University of Michigan. And I, I started to realize that, that music, you know, we talked about how it's a great life and it's a great profession to be in that has its own challenges. But even though you're doing music, music is really a people business. And I think that's what I love about it. You know, if you're a performer, it's so easy to focus on, on, on yourself and practicing, but really what you're doing is performing for other people. You're communicating with them through music. And that sounds a little idealistic, but at the ultimate base level of it, that's what we're doing, right? Yeah. And then as a teacher, it's all about people. Yeah. It's about helping your students try to accomplish their goals. And, and then finding, you know, as you get in touch with younger students that you're trying to recruit to study with you, you know, if they want to come, there's a connection there with people. And then when you're done and you start, you know, having your career, you realize that playing together is just an excuse to be with your friends and to be with other people, right? And if there's people you don't know that you're collaborating with, they quickly become your friends. And so to me, uh, the thing that, that kind of started to stick out to me, the more I started getting into professional music years ago was that music is really a people business. And when you focus on the people, it's, it's easy to, to be successful and to have these really great experiences, kind of no matter who you're with, right? You can have people that you you have a lot of differences with and yet when you're playing together, it just kind of comes together. I know it sounds so cheesy, but that's how you get harmony, right? And so, I, I mean, through this, through the, since March, when we've had all this, this trouble and conflict, especially in the United States, I keep thinking to myself, man, people just need to play more duets together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're not trumpet players, you know? Get with somebody and sing a song. And, and quickly, so much of that stuff goes away, you know what I mean? So anyway, to me, music is a people business. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think, you know, I'm always telling my students like, hey, you need to be like good colleagues. You know, you never know who's going to want to hire you or want to work with you in the future. Like building those relationships now is key. And as like I've gone through school, I've come across like so many people I went to school with or 
knew from even like all state band years ago in high school and now like we're in this working environment so it's it's so important and that's it's so so true that it is a, a people's business you know relationships well, and networking yeah you're so right even like the three of us you know your teacher chris moore was a really kind important mentor for me i never took trumpet lessons from him but he kind of was my like one of my uh he was a my teacher teacher meaning like he helped me learn how to be a good college teacher yeah right and he he allowed me to come to florida state when before you guys were at florida state when it, when he had no business when i had no business giving a class at florida state he oh, invited me i was there me. for that that's when you, i was there for that class uh, well i think i was there where, well right, then so i came back was, a second time oh, oh okay. yeah yeah you're right that's right yeah that's right that's when i first so, met you yeah that's right. So, and then that's right. That's when we met and we're doing this now. So it just kind of keeps going, right? Like on, on the surface, it's a, it's a networking thing, right? But beyond that, it's, it's like I said, it's about people and, and you never, like you said, you never know how it's going to turn out. We could have a whole three episodes. Yeah. I tell you these crazy <laughs> stories looking back and I'm sure you guys could do the same thing. Right. But yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a blessing about what we do to have that happen. Yeah, for sure. So you talked about, you know, you're taking auditions and performing a little bit as well. And so what was your transition like from being a student to being a full-time performer and then full-time professor? You know, what would, I mean, you, you're wearing all the hats and even now, I mean, you're obviously with COVID performances are happening less, but that's something that you still actively do. I remember this was ITG in Miami. I saw you perform and I was like, oh, so beautiful like you're just an amazing player you know it's like effortless and so you know what was that transition like because that can be hard for some people especially now in this environment like students that have just graduated school and are kind of like uh what, were there any things that you faced in that as you transitioned through for sure yeah and thanks for your kind words um yeah you know i i the first thing that came to my mind when you guys asked just asked that question was um one summer I was a fellow at Music Academy of the West and that was in the middle two, er, middle 2000s. And that summer I was very lucky to work with Paul Markello and Joe Bergstaller. Mm. And, and then when Joe, um, you know, was their Canadian brass came. And so Ryan Anthony had, came as the other trumpet teacher. So I got to work with him some. And that started a really close relationship that I've had with Ryan. Um, but I remember that summer, um, this, you know, asking Paul Markello in a lesson I, I just wanted to know, like, this sounds so obvious, but it was, and I think I was overthinking it, but I wanted to know how to play musically and how to, to kind of get over the hump. And he said, you need to stop playing like a student. You need to play like a professional. And I hadn't thought about it in that kind of way. And so what that really meant was every time I play, whether I'm in a lesson, in a, in a situation, you know, at that time at Music Academy, I was kind of in a student role, right? But he was saying, even if you're in a student kind of role that you typically would be in don't play like a student listen to how a professional mm -hmm. plays watch how they act and how they do their stuff and start playing that way and so kind of from that moment it, there was a shift in the way I thought about things and clearly I still had a you know things to improve on in my playing we all do I still do right now but trying to do it as a professional would um clicked in my brain in a different way and then kind of after that summer that's when professional things started coming more you know, that after that summer, I, I won this job in Santiago, Chile, and that was a really great experience. And that 
you know, my first concert there, my trial week was playing principal or Mahler too, which that's my favorite piece um, out of all music. And so getting to do that in a professional context that you can't play like a student, right? When you're in a professional orchestra. And then, then there are just many, many more experiences that, that come. And then that also happens as a teacher too. You know, I remember my, my first job was at Southern Miss in, in Hattiesburg and I, I will always be grateful for the five years there because it helped me learn how to make that transition. You know, I, when I got there, I was real, um, you know, I don't want to say ignorant, but I'm sure I was ignorant, you know, but I had all these dreams and, and idealistic and I wanted to turn, you know, I had just come from Michigan where I did my doctorate and wanted to turn Southern Miss into the Michigan of like the South. And um, I learned quickly that you, it shouldn't be the Michigan of the South. It needs to be a really great Southern Miss of the South, right? Mm -hmm. And I have, I, my whoever my students are, instead of having goals for them, it, I learned that I needed to talk to them about what their goals were. And I had to see myself as someone that helps them achieve what they want to do, not to have all these Jason Bergman clones. Mm -hmm. And doing that has helped me to, I think my students have been more successful and they're happier because they're doing what they want to do. But that helped me learn how to kind of start to teach the right way. And that I started learning those lessons right away. So I, I, I feel bad for all those first students that I had because, you know, I was pushing them so hard and, and, uh, um, but they, they helped me too. So, you know, we, we helped each other, but, but now, you know, there's, there's a difference and I kind of see what, what being a pro is like as a teacher in the same way. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if that kind of explained it, what you're looking for, but that's kind of what awesome. came to my mind. Yeah. That's Especially great. like the idea of, you know, playing as a professional and no longer playing as like a student, you know, yeah. I'm definitely going to steal that line <laughs> moving forward. I think yeah. great, cause there, there is some like thing that happens, some like click and you say, all right, you, you need to play like a, a, a professional musician rather than like the student who I'm like, you're expecting me to coach you through this thing, you know? Yep. So yep. I, I think that's great. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and, and again, that's straight from Paul. And I, I remember we were doing Mahler 5, which as a student, you play, you know, if you have a lesson with someone like Paul Markello, you play Mahler 5. And, mm -hmm. and, he, and, and he said, you got to play like a pro. And, and so I had, you know, played Mahler 5. And he's like, look, this is how a pro would play it. And then he like threw it down. And it was like, okay, yeah, there's like a whole nother level. And, and so, yeah, but I, I steal it from him too all the time with my students, right? Especially ones that are kind of like at that, right. they're re you know, you can see when they're ready to make that jump. And sometimes that kind of comment just does it. So after after that, it became it became this like personal goal. Anytime I played for an audition or in a professional setting, or if I was in a master class, you know, after that I would play. And my goal was always to have them say something that was close to being like, "Well, that sounds professional," you know, not uh, you know you know what I mean. If anybody yeah. ever said that I sound like a student, it was like the biggest insult I could ever <laughs> get. So anyway. awesome, awesome. Well. Since you, you know, you started having some success, um, have you had any like setbacks in your career along the way that either taught you something at the time or showed a benefit down the road? Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. I think because of the way the world is now and the prevalence of social media, everybody just puts on their, you know, best clothes and only talks about all their successes. And really, the people that I think are the most successful are the people that have lots of failures. Mm -hmm. and, and anybody that's successful has failures. And failures are a good thing. They, they don't feel good in the moment. But if you're humble, 
and willing to learn, they, they can teach you really good things. You know, I, I, there's a couple that, that kind of come to my mind. I remember before I got my job at Southern Miss, I was applying for every college teaching job that was out there for jobs that I had no business applying for. Um, and I kept every single application and I have like this file. It's still in my Dropbox. that has got every single like, you know, CV and cover letter I wrote for every job. And, um, you know, I, I was lucky because I, I was able to get that job before I even finished my doctorate, right? It was in my last year. Um, but then I, I didn't apply for jobs again, but then every job that I've applied for since I, I won. And that was interesting. And I go back to, I, I go back to those other materials and I look at those and kind of see what I lacked, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I've also shared the, that with, you know, with previous, you know, doctoral students I had, I want them to see the resumes that didn't work or the recordings that didn't work and, and see my failures too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's an important thing to talk about. Um, I remember once um, an audition I took with the Colorado Symphony. It's the one with, when Justin won the principal job there. Um, I, the first round was like the perfect first round you could ask for. It was like Leonore three pictures, Mahler five, Petrushka, like all of these standard excerpts. And I was so prepared on those and was great. So I, I got fortunate and I advanced to the next round. And then the next, the semifinal round was the next day. And it was the complete opposite. It was like the hardest thing you could do. I, I mean, you, let's see, you, they started with like, it was the B minor mass on piccolo. From that, you went like straight to Carmen. And then after Carmen, American in Paris. And then it went to the post-horn solo. And it was like the most extreme, like, you know, acrobatic, um, you know, high cardio workout that you could do on the trumpet that was so unrealistic. And it kicked my trash. I mean, I remember finishing that. I was so excited about the first round, right? And I just remember thinking, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And it was, I was exposed because I would practice all the excerpts that I sounded good on. But then I wouldn't, I didn't practice enough the things that I had issues with, you know? So like Carmen was always a struggle, like playing in tune down on the low B flat trumpet, but I had never done it after playing the B minor mass, right? Like when you're at the opposite end on a small horn and way up high, you know, and then having, then playing, uh, you know, post horn solo after American in Paris, right? And so I learned that I wanted to try to hide stuff. I remember going into it thinking, well, there's a couple excerpts and I hope they don't call them. Well, I learned after that one that you just prepare all the stuff that's the hardest and you turn your weaknesses into strengths by like focusing on them. And, and that's what a pro does, right? A pro that's, that's humble is going to practice the things that they're not good at as opposed to things that they sound good at. Yeah. So I remember that was a setback that in the moment just I felt so bad. But it, I, it taught me some really important lessons that have helped me to today. You know, no matter what performance I'm getting ready for, I make sure to start with the stuff that I can't do well. Yeah. You know, give myself the most time on it and be honest about where I'm at. So those are two small ones. But I, I guarantee you, for all the successes I've had, I certainly have had setbacks. Yeah, that, that is so true. Because, it, it, you know, in terms of, like, trying to hide, it, it's, it's hard to be honest with yourself. You know, they kind of look yourself in the mirror each day and it's like, all right, here's my weaknesses. I'm afraid to touch them. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always encourage, no, I mean, I'm sure we all like encourage students, like you got to be honest and that's where like recording yourself comes yep. into play and, and, and just really making sure like you're doing your due diligence and not running away, you know, face your fears, 
That's right. Yeah. And recording yourself and auditions are the great equalizers mm-hmm. because you can't hide. They expose exactly. you no matter what. You know what I mean? So if you really want to be a pro and you want to get better, you've got to record yourself and you got to take auditions, mm-hmm. you know, and then the more you do it, the more you, you know, you fix those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. So what was, you mentioned the Santiago Philharmonic in Chile earlier. What was it like performing with that group and living down there? Were you down there full time? Yeah. Yeah. It, that was an amazing experience. It was so great. I had lived in Brazil for two years prior to that. So I spoke Portuguese and, and my wife, um, we were, we had been married for about a year or two and she spoke Spanish. Um, she had lived in, we both served missions for our church. And so in those experiences, we, we picked up second languages. And so we were pretty comfortable living in South America and speaking the language. And, um, I kind of would go into, I call it Portanol. So it was like a mixture of Spanish and Portuguese, uh, but they were very patient with me. But you know, that, that orchestra was so great. The people were wonderful and so welcoming. And it was like this melting pot of an orchestra. You know, it was kind of like a third of the orchestra were Chileans or Argentinian, like South Americans. And then another third were like Europeans, Russians, Germans, people from Spain. Um, and then there were some Americans in there too. And so there was a lot of diversity in the orchestra. And so everybody was kind of like, not, not out of place. I don't know what the right way to say it. There were a lot of people that were like, you know, not from Santiago, I guess yeah. is the way to say it. And so everybody just kind of like, it was like a really good team. It was very friendly. And it's also kind of a European style, um, you know, orchestra, meaning that in the same theater, we had opera, ballet, and the orchestra. Wow. And so the orchestra played for ballet and the opera in addition to doing our own concerts. And it was kind of a rotation. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because of that, we were on this constant rotation and you just do the best music. Like I said earlier, you know, the first thing I did was Mahler 2. Then we did um, Rite of Spring it, with the ballet, with the original choreography. And Rite of Spring is great, but when you do it, you know, 11 times in the pit, it's a little bit different than <laughs> yeah. on the stage in like one yeah. concert, right? <clears throat> one and, and done, then we yeah. Did, yeah. Then we did Verdi's Unballo and Mascada, which is a great opera. And then we did this um, Italian concert, all the Respighi tone poems with this Italian conductor. And then it was Bluebeard's Castle by Bartok. So we we're just like going through this repertoire in the original context, you know, and it was just so great. I mean, I learned so much and um, the, the principal trumpet at the time, is he's still there. His name's Eugene King. He's from Louisville, um, but he's been down there forever. He's kind of like the Bud Herseth of Chile. Like he's been there for 40 plus years now, I think. Wow. And so when I was there, I was kind of like the, like an associate principal and played a lot of principal. I mean, yeah, so there were like, anyway, it was just a really great experience. So, so I loved living down there. Santiago is a great city. It's um, a more modern South American city. And um, yeah, it was great. And then, you know, Chile is such a unique country because it's so long, Mm -hmm. but very narrow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Santiago is kind of at the base of the Andes, but then in an hour you could be at the ocean, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then the North of of Chile is all desert. You know, that James Bond movie where he's in the desert is all, was all filmed that kind of like there Mm -hmm. in that area. And then the south of Chile is Patagonia, and it's just gorgeous down there. So it's an amazing, you know, country, and so we loved it. But we were only there for for just that one year. Um, 
you know, fortunately I, I was able to get tenure there and, and, but my wife was pregnant and we decided we wanted to come back and, and just kind of be in the States. We didn't want to live out of the country forever. Right. Um, and, and doing that, I had the best time. It was like the best job, but it helped me realize I really wanted to teach. So we came back and then I did my doctorate and really focused on getting ready for a job like I have now. Awesome. Awesome. Hmm. So it, it sounds like, you know, aside from playing in uh, uh, that orchestra, you've also performed and played all across the world. Do you have any like favorite cities or countries aside from Chile um, that you've performed in or anything like that? Yeah, well, Brazil is one of them. You know, I, I live there and I, I'm fluent in Portuguese. And so I, I try to go back as much as I can. The people in Brazil have just the biggest hearts and, and the trumpet players are just serious monsters down there. They're so good. And, and I mean monsters in like the best way possible. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, they, they, they're, they're, it's just, that's a wonderful place, a wonderful country and so many great cities. Um, this last year, kind of before COVID, I was so lucky to, to be asked to be on the jury of, of the Charlier competition in Belgium. And I love Europe. But Belgium is this great country. And, and that was a neat experience because it was all these, my trumpet heroes. And then there was like me, I totally was the one that didn't belong. You know, one of these things is not like the other. It was Eric Albier and Fritz Damro and Manuel Blanco and Dominique Baudard. And then me, like, what the heck am I doing there with them? But they were so kind. And, and it was a great, that was a great experience. Um, also getting to go to China was a really great experience. I've been to China twice and, and Beijing is this incredible city. I remember um, when I was there, um, I was the guest of, of Zhang-Wei Dai, who's a really important and prominent um, trumpet performer and teacher in, in China. And who's done, he's done so much for the trumpet there. And, and he invited me to his school, the, the National Conservatory, the Central Conservatory in Beijing. And I remember just thinking in my life, I never thought ever I would go to China. You know, I got to go to the, to the Great Wall. And, and when you're standing there on top of the Great Wall, you just think, oh, my gosh, I'm at the Great Wall of China. Mm -hmm. Like, that was incredible. And, you know, I went on this walk one of the mornings and walked down to Tiananmen Square and, and, and saw all that. And, of course, everybody there was just, you know, pointing it and staring at me because I certainly did not look Chinese. I was taller and way bigger than all of them. I think they thought I was like this abominable snowman. Um, but but it was cool. You know, that that's a great place. And and so going to China was one of those things that artistically was this really great thing and this great experience. But just getting to go there and experience their culture was really meaningful for me. And ultimately, when, you, when, I, when it got down to it and we were doing classes and lessons, you know, some of the, the, the students, you know, they didn't speak English as well. Actually, they speak English way better than I could speak Spanish or, or Chinese, excuse me. I could speak three words maybe. Um, but it's, it's music, right? And it, if I found that if you're in China or Belgium or, you know, Sao Paulo, when you get down to playing the trumpet, it's the same thing kind of, mm -hmm. right? And when we're trying to share what we do, whether it's our music or our teaching or, or helping each other, it comes back to that thing. It's a people business, right? And so even though we might have these political divides with, with some of these countries or, or things, when you get to experience those countries through music, you realize that that stuff is all, that we're all just people, right? We're brothers and sisters. And, and so getting to travel is one of the things that's been a great blessing in my life, right? Because 
I, I think when you get out there and you see diversity like that and you see the circumstances that other people live, it not only makes you grateful for where we are in the United States, but it helps you see these common things that connect us all, even though we're quote unquote different, you know? Yeah, that's so true. That's one of the things my wife and I, we've moved around, I don't know, three or four times in the last five years. And everybody's like, oh man, you guys like just need to figure out a place. And each place has had its own purpose and leading to the next, but it's like, and you know, we're, we're thinking like, this has been great perspective, getting to see things and, and learn about the Midwest. Like we lived in Kansas city for a year and like, oh, that was totally cool. Never thought in my life that I'd live there. And that's a great city. Great. You know, then we lived in Atlanta for, yeah. Then we lived in Atlanta for a couple of years and it's like, oh, this is so cool. You know, like each has opened up our eyes to different cultures and just the people, how different the people interact with each other. Um, it's, it's really cool. So I can imagine on the international level, it's even more grand because it's a different culture, you know, different foods, different beverages, all that kind of stuff. Like it's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I consider it just a tremendous blessing because, you know, you never, anytime you get to go anywhere, I feel like it's, it's kind of like a gift and you never know, you know, in March, everything that I had was canceled, you know, every trip, everything else. And then when it's all taken away, I just feel so grateful for the opportunities that I've been able to have. And, and hopefully we all get to a situation past COVID where we can travel again and, you know, Hopefully there's other opportunities down the road, but yeah, yeah it's a great thing. Yeah. I, I think traveling is one of the best things a person can do, no matter what you do, right? Just because it's something that helps connect us, right? It, it, that's been my experience. It helps educate you and you see what other, how other people live and helps you appreciate what you have. For sure. Absolutely. So throughout your, you know, all your travels and your career has kind of led you to being the Trump professor at BYU in Utah. So since you've been there, I think this is what your second or third year? Third year, yeah. Third year. Um, so what makes your uh, the trumpet studio at, at BYU unique? And when you are looking for students to, to enter your studio, what kind of characteristics are you looking for? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel, again, we've talked about all these experiences that, that we've had and that I've had, and I feel so blessed have worked at the places that I've worked. I, when I was in Texas, I never thought I would leave Texas. Um, that was a, we just, I love that job and my students. And, but you know, like I had mentioned earlier, I, I did my undergraduate degree at BYU and the chance to come back. And when my teacher here retired, um, the chance to come back was just this really special opportunity. And um, BYU is unique for a couple reasons. One, um, BYU is in Provo, Utah, which is at the base of, of the, the Wasatch Mountains. You're in the mountains, the Rocky Mountains, and it's just beautiful. And so, you know, I love Texas. I mean, I'm a Texas boy, but you don't have mountains in Texas, and it's so hot. And so here we've got four seasons, you know, like I, I was telling you before we got on that it's supposed to snow here tomorrow, and I love having snow. I like the cold. So part of just being in Utah is, is outdoors. You know, this morning, my son and I went on a hike in the mountains, and you can do that here. So just being outside in nature is a really great thing. Now, BYU itself is, is a great school. BYU, what you, you said what makes it unique. One of the things that makes it really unique is that BYU is a private school. Everywhere else I've taught has been a state school. 
but BYU is private and it's it's owned and operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is my church. And so um, similar to other schools like Notre Dame or Baylor, um, there's a, a, a religious affiliation to the to the university. And so that makes it really unique, right? Now you don't have to be a member of the church to go here. I have students that, that are not, not members of the church and they're doing really, really great. But that is something that makes it unique and different to many other places. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that makes it unique, and um, I think it's a really, really great thing, but it was a hard adjustment for me. When I was at, at North Texas, there's a really vibrant and big graduate program. And I, I really felt like my best teaching, the best, what I loved the most was working with my graduate students and, and doctoral students, trying to help them make those final last steps, you know, to getting a job. And and the, the ones that I had there are just dear friends and, and they're all successful doing great things now. BYU is primarily focused as an undergraduate institution. And so not having graduate students in the same way, you know, I have a, a graduate TA who does, who's a master's student not having doctoral students was, was hard for me because I just really felt like that was the best fit for me. But as we've been focusing on undergraduate study, um, you can have these fantastic experiences like graduate students would, but as an undergraduate. So uh, BYU has this program called um, Experiential Learning, which um, is tied to this really big endowment they have that provides students of all programs on campus to get you know, graduate level research or experiences, they get funding to do stuff. So if how it applies to us, if I have any students that want to do some kind of cool project, they can apply for funding and support that project. Um, also, if they're doing competitions or summer festival, those things are expensive, but we have resources to help all of our students do that. So you can get, you know, really amazing experiences here that I haven't found at other places because there's this there are these resources and support to do that, which is pretty cool that as an undergrad, you can do that. Because there's not a large graduate program, you also can play in the top ensembles in the orchestra and the top band and play repertoire at the top level that usually is, you know, guys like you at Florida State that would be playing it, you know, the doctoral students. So, um, you know, our orchestra does serious rep. Since I've been here, they've done Mahler 9 and um, they, you know, do a Mahler symphony every other year. And our, our, our ensembles also do international tours. So they usually go for about three or four weeks every year. So when you're a oh, student, wow. you know, um, this year coming up, our, our band is going to Spain and Portugal. Actually, no, they're not. That was where they were going to go last year and then COVID hit. <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to Prague and the Czech Republic and then Italy. They're going to be there for about three weeks in Switzerland. Oh. The next year, I think our orchestra is going to Spain and Portugal. And, you know, the jazz band goes to places all over. So it's, they went to Cuba and Dominican Republic two years ago. That's so, so cool. Yeah, you can have these really cool experiences here that I don't think most places could have in the same kind of way. Um, and then, like I said, we've got really good chocolate milk. So, <laughs> and ice cream. It's a good thing. So what type of students do you typically look for? Like, what's, what do you value in a student? I, so for me, um, and this might sound a little bit weird, but to me, the, I believe that the trumpet studio itself is really, really important. And so having uh, the right kind of feeling and attitude and um, tradition in the studio itself 
is critical to student success. That's something that I believe. And I think that's mirrored by people that, that I know and respect, like with at Baylor and Ryan, at, who you talked to in, in Colorado, um, and Chris Moore at Florida State. Like the way they run their studios is the way I run my studio. We try to go for the same kind of things. So the right student for me is the student that's going to fit in best with that. Right. So I'm always looking for students that have that are um, really, really bright, but they're also positive and happy and outgoing and and they, they can kind of like fit into this this thing. The Trump, the old trumpet stereotype, you know, egomaniac, all about high notes and higher, faster, louder. That doesn't really fit in here, no matter how you play. I will always take someone that kind of has the right character over someone that plays better, but might have a questionable character, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. um I feel like if also if a student is is humble and teachable, then we can work together to make their trumpet playing better, no matter where they're at. Um, and so, you know, we have students that are really, really advanced and others that are that are, you know, kind of at a more um, earlier spot in their development. And that's all good. There's a place for everybody here. Mm-hmm. But but kind of character and attitude is what I look for more than anything. Of course, I want great players. Right. But I want great players. I, I have this saying that we want great trumpet players, but better people. And so students mm-hmm. that kind of fit into that, um, you know, or what that's what I've always looked for. And at BYU, that tends to be kind of the students that we get here are those typical kind of students. So, you know, it, it, we have a we have a really good studio. Awesome. So anyway. I love that. Um so also, you've recently been elected president of the International Trumpet Guild, which Javian, are you're a member of, right? Of course, I'm a member. Yes, of which we are all <laughs> members of. Yep, I actually got my uh, my journal in like last week, I think. Started flipping through that. Um, so, what do you hope to accomplish during your tenure as president? And congratulations as well. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I'm as surprised as I think anybody else is. And it's kind of nice to, sh- so I guess I'm technically a president-elect. So uh, as of today, it was announced, you know, president-elect Biden is now president-elect. So we have something in common. We're president-elect. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> Just on very different levels. No, so one of the, when they in- invited me to go on the ballot and nominate me, one of the things that I wanted to do, and the only reason I wanted to try to seek that, or, or you know, the goal I had was to see if I could find a way to help ITG be something that felt like everyone had a place and a home in ITG. Um, I, I've been a member of ITG since I was like in high school. I remember my teacher telling me about ITG and giving me his old journals. And then I joined and was in it in college and did competitions in ITG and have gone to conferences for years. And I remember at times feeling like there wasn't always a place for everybody. You know, it seemed like if you knew the right people, then you had a better experience in ITG than if you're just a regular person, right? That maybe didn't know as many people. And so I, one of my goals is to, ho- is, to, is to hopefully continue to make ITG that way where everybody feels like they have a home. And I feel like in the last five or six years that there's been a lot of progress there. A lot of new faces serving in important positions, you know, from, from volunteers all the way up to people on the board. And um, I feel like, I, I, I never really wanted to complain. I try not to be a complainer, um, but we all kind of have that tendency a little bit. And I felt like if I was going to have issues at all with, with some things, then I needed to like do my part, right? So serving on the board and then now as vice president and then as president gives me a chance to kind of put my money where my mouth is 
right? And to, if, if there were things that I felt like didn't go great, this is a chance to fix them. There are so many things that are fantastic about ITG. I think that there's misunderstandings out there, but it really is a place that for everybody. Um, you know, our current president is Grant Peters, and he's just been a great president with a lot of vision. He's done some really, you know, he's led some really important initiatives. We just started a thing where high school students and under can be ITG members for free. And so we just need them to sign up. So if there's anybody listening to the podcast that has high school students, they can go to the website and join and get all the benefits of a member. They get the an electronic, you know, journal. And that's kind of a cool thing that, that Grant's done. We just had our listen and learn, which, you know, sadly our, our conference this last year in Anaheim was, was canceled because of COVID. And so one way to try to make up on that was this fall for a week, um, ITG on our website put up this listen and learn, which every day there were like 10 to 20 videos of, of all kinds of ITG members. Some you've heard of and some you haven't, right? The whole swath of ITG, early music, jazz, orchestral, college teachers. I mean, anybody, there were, there were things that were represented there. That's great. We're planning a virtual conference for this next year. So we're trying to do all these things that, to make ITG relevant. We have some really great ideas for the future. So some of the things when I, when it's my turn after Grant, um, I want to do something like you guys are doing. I, I want us to have a, a ITG podcast and that's probably going to happen before I even become president. We're in the middle of working on that. We're hopefully once a week. Um, we've got a podcast that shares either more content about stuff that's in the journal. Let's say that, that, you know, Javian's interviewed in the ITG journal. Well, we could also have you do a podcast episode. There's going to be a, a legacy part of, of the podcast where maybe we go back and talk to some of the important award winners, you know, and the early crucial people that, that founded ITG, people like David Hickman, you know, and, and also we want to interview other ITG members that are trumpet players that, that have a unique story to tell, you know, so a young student that has this really great accomplishment, we want to talk to that person and, and, and people that are trumpet players from all over the world. That's also another goal of mine is to kind of help people that are trumpet players and ITG members from other countries feel like they have a place in ITG. So trying to generate more content in other languages. I want our YouTube channel to get really active, you know? So, you know, we know lots of great artists and teachers from other countries. Why can't they do stuff for the, for the ITG on, on YouTube in their own language? That's going to be something that happens at our next conference. You know, we're going to have you know, there's these great international artists that come to ITG. We're going to have them do presentations at the conference in their own language. So, you know, people that are in France or people that are in Argentina or people in China, they can have stuff like that. You know, it's a little complicated to publish a journal in different languages. We're not to that point, but we can try to generate more content. I'm also interested in, in a mentoring program. I think it would be great there's so many ways to have it go, but kind of, you know, people that are, you know, people that, that want to play in an orchestra or that want to be a music educator, we can connect you hopefully with people that are doing those things now to help you have more mentors than just your primary teacher. People that are finishing up their DMA, have them connected with people that were helpful like me, you know, I'm not volunteering anybody, but you know, people that for me, Wifrud and, and Chris Moore, and, you know, those guys were really good, important mentors for me. So we want to try to help other people that are coming up 
you know, have experiences like that. So these are things that, that we're kind of working on that I'd like to, to see happen. Um, we'll see, you know, it's hard to make anything happen in an organization, but I feel like we can try to, to do new stuff. I think something refreshing for ITG would be, would be to make ITG 21st century ready, right? To bring us into the modern time. So more content on our website, you know, like I said, podcasts, YouTube videos, Vir I, I think virtual elements of conferences are here to stay. Yeah. You know, we are going to go back to in-person conferences when it's safe, but who's to say we can't have somebody do something virtual. I think Zoom is a, a part of what we're all going to be doing in the future, right? And so we have all these endless possibilities. I think we're, we want to explore those things. Yeah. And, and then the, the final thing that's important to me is, is to hopefully get even more diversity into, into the ITG. The journal, I know that our editor, Peter Wood, does a really good job, and it's important to him to have the, the journal be a, a diverse, to focus on all kinds of trumpet players, right, and topics. And I think that it's my hope that right now we're about to go into a new election cycle, and so I hope that people will feel like they want to either self-nominate or nominate a diverse group of people, you know? I'd love to be like, you know, I'm not doing all these plugs, but I think it's great that we have our first female vice president of the country. You know, it would be great if on the next ballot, there were two women that were running for ITG president. Yeah. We've had great, you know, Kathy Leach was a terrific president for ITG, yeah. right? I'd love to see, you know, somebody that's not a white guy be the president of ITG, you know? So, you know, not that there's anything wrong with white guys, but there's a lot of great people. And we want to try to find ways for everybody to contribute you know, not only is there a space in ITG for every trumpet player, there's a space in to serve too, if someone wants to, regardless of who you know, you know what I mean? So my goal is whenever I'm done, that people feel like that that's kind of the way ITG is. Yeah, that's absolutely. awesome. Yeah, I, I love can, that. I can, I can still remember my first ITG conference when I was an undergrad, it was in Harrisburg. And I remember our, our trumpet ensemble was doing one of the uh, the prelude uh, performances, and we were opening up for Chris Martin, who had just won the Chicago Symphony job. So I still remember going like to warm up, and like Chris Martin's in the same room warming up, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, kind of like fanning out. Uh, it's the first time that's really happened to me, and um, and I still, you know, I've I've written for the journal. Uh, few times so like it just been a big part of like my development and going to all these conferences and hear all this fantastic trumpet playing and musicians and networking and meeting people and like especially people who you see in like this you know you're big fans of i remember seeing dave hickman for the first time and be like oh my god it's dave hickman and so but it kind of is like you meet these people like they're just regular guys and, and and women they're you know they're great people and they're just fantastic musicians so like that was kind of like through those experiences kind of gave me that like um, shot in the arm to like, all right, I can like, I can do this, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's always been a great, a great time for ITG, at least with me. And I hope to have my students to do more, be more active with ITG moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, no those problem. are, those are great experiences that, you know, we want everybody to have those kinds of experiences yeah. at ITG. Yeah. Yeah. So we have, I guess one more question. Um, do you have any um, like morning or evening routines when you aren't playing trumpet? Um, and, and what do you like do outside of, you know, music and playing like things that you enjoy? You mentioned hiking a little earlier. Are there like other activities? 
Yeah. So when you talk about morning or evening routines, you're talking not about like flow studies and stamp, right? Non-trumpet stuff, right? No. Non-trumpet stuff. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. like <laughs> non-trumpet stuff. This is whatever. We all, we yeah. all assume that you're you're doing your Clarks and your your Chickowitz and all those things. <laughs> I do my Clarks for sure. Yeah. Um, I do. I and they they kind of change over time. Um, I remember, you know, kind of from graduate school all the way up until last year or two, I spent so much time just focused on way too many trumpet routines, right? Like just too much trumpet stuff, practicing, teaching, traveling. Um, and I think there were times where I didn't have enough um, outside stuff. And that's really, really important. So some, some of the things that you mentioned, we talked about hiking. Um, during the summer, we try to go as a family on a hike every week. It, it, you can do it. I mean, we live real, I mean, next to a mountain. I went the hike we went on this morning. I mean, we're less than a mile from the trailhead. So um, trying to do that as much as possible is just really good for your soul. You know, I've been trying to do a lot of just like regular walking. So I've been doing walking every morning and that's really good. I listen to a lot of podcasts like Coffee and Clarks and, and I, I actually, I don't listen to too many trumpet podcasts. Um, I listen to, I like sports radio. So to me, Dan Patrick he, when I was growing up, he was the Sports Center anchor, and he has his, the Dan Patrick Show. So I listen to that every day, and um, I like those uh, uh, what do they call them? True crime podcasts, things like Serial, and and there's a great podcast called In the Dark. So I listen to a lot of podcasts like that. Um, I this year because of COVID and everything got canceled. My youngest son, who he's been dying for years to play football. And so he kind of got to the age where he could play. And so we signed him up for football, even though like there's all the COVID stuff, we were trying to be really careful. And his, the football league out here was taking all precautions. And then the coach um, was a younger guy and he had joined the military, but called was called to basic training sooner than he was expecting. So they had this last minute, like hole for a coach. So they, they got a new coach and then they needed extra help. So they called and asked if I would help being like an assistant coach. Well, I watch a lot of football, but I don't really know much. And I said, if, you, if you're okay with a guy who doesn't know anything, you know, I mean, I know stuff, but not about coaching, you know? So anyway, I got to coach football this fall and that was a great thing. It was great for me and my son. And, you know, we just finished the season and that his team was really, really great. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm a budding like assistant coach. I, I was pretty good uh -oh. on the line. Uh -oh. Here we go. You're going to pivot, pivot to, uh, to the Cowboys. No, well, that, or no, maybe BYU, the they'll hire you. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're doing pretty good this yeah, year. Yeah, you guys are doing really yeah. well this season. They don't need me. But but it was kind of fun, you know, for my my kids. Um, I don't know. Those are, those are kind of some of the things that kind of stand out. I like to read. I just don't get to do it a lot. Mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of make up for reading during, you know, you know breaks, the summer and, and Christmas, you know, breaks. Mm -hmm. But I like those, like, like uh, – you know, suspenseful thriller kind of books, you know, where they're like some kind of spy or whatever stuff that I'm not anything right. like, but it's kind of cool. So, and then I watched probably, you know, when I, I shouldn't admit this on a trumpet podcast, but I, I watch Netflix a lot when I warm up and I'm doing my Clarks, it started out with like ESPN, but now I'll watch like, you know, so I've watched like the office and all kinds of shows yes. when, I'm, when I'm practicing and um, the office is tough because I, even though I've seen it so many times, I still laugh. And when you're playing and you laugh, it, you know, it can hurt your lips. <laughs> yep. But uh, anyway, so I like looking for good stuff, like 
good movies and, and things like that. I have a, a brother-in-law that's a filmmaker. And oh. so he, he kind of keeps us on, on our toes because he knows so much about movies and I know nothing like he does. So I always want to like watch really good stuff so I can um, say, hey, have you seen this movie? And of course he has and knows all this great stuff about it. So anyway, yeah, I also like to mow my yard. So I wouldn't say I have like the best yard, but I love to mow it. I feel like that's like, even though the mower's loud, um, it's like the most peaceful time of the week. That's where I get so much thinking done. And so hmm. mowing, I, I like doing that stuff. Awesome. That's cool. Instant gratification. Right. And then you when know? you're done, it looks great. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so be before we wrap up here today, we kind of like to end on a, a lighter note uh, with this segment called, like, what music are you listening to? So this could be, you know, pop, R&B, jazz, rock, anything like that. So, Jason, what, what have you been listening to jamming out to recently? Okay. So, unless I'm, like, like you know, trying to study, I try not – I don't listen to a lot of trumpet players, although I will say Winton um, and, and the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra just recorded this great album called The Ever Funky Lowdown. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually were very lucky last week had Winton as a guest at BYU. It was a virtual thing, and he – they asked me to interview him. So in preparation for interviewing him um, for our students, I was listening to all kinds of stuff. And, and the ever funky lowdown is not only is it just like incredible music, but it's so timely. I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece. And so that's something that I can't stop listening to. Um, but in, on the football team, one of the songs that we kind of listened to a little bit was, was um, back in black by ACDC. And for some reason I had never got into them. So I've been listening to ACDC a little bit. Um, I'll just be really honest because some of this might be kind of corny, but I kind of, I think an American treasure is Dolly Parton uh, and yeah, she has a new Christmas CD that came out. So I, my daughter loves Christmas music. And so we've kind of been <laughs> checking out Dolly Parton's new Christmas CD. Nice. Um, and then if I had one like secret indulgence on the trumpet, it would be mariachi music. I just like have this dream that one day I could be like, third trumpet guy in a mariachi band and i can't play stuff those guys are so great those you know the men and women that play that are awesome so i, I listen to mariachi quite a bit nice. i mean the trumpet playing is just really oh, yeah. awesome and oh, that's, yeah. that's not typical but but i i i love it i have a a former student um in, in texas who does who just wrote a mariachi book and um a method book like oh. the first trumpet method book for mariachi and so he I kind of am into mariachi through him a little bit. Um, and then I've also, if I would be a trumpet nerd a little bit, I'm getting really into historical stuff. So like natural trumpet, mm. I'm just starting to, to, I just got a natural trumpet and I'm starting to learn how to play. And so I do a lot of listening to, to that, to the really great, you know, Baroque trumpet players out there. There's some great stuff. So anyway, that's a lot of different things. Dolly yeah. Parton, oh, ACDC to like, <laughs> you know, Bach, but. Yeah, that's awesome. Tyler, what are you listening to? Yeah, it's kind of on the same realm, different things. Uh, actually, this morning before my run, I was listening to Jacob Collier to kind of get me He's get me going. Yeah, like his newest album that came out. And then um, uh, Bethel Music. I'll listen to Bethel sometimes. And then um, in terms of like trumpet playing, Phil Smith, just like listening to him. Like I, I've been like watching more interviews of him talk and you know, he's just so transparent and like such a peaceful guy. And then when you go in here and play it, just like, I don't know, 
it just all comes together. And so his playing is just, it's just wonderful. Maybe it's from growing up in Florida and they had like, we had to play out of his uh, etude book for Allstate. And oh, so like every great. summer, yeah, every summer you just like listen to Phil Smith play all the time. You're just like, what in the world is going on? Not a bad so person. that's, that's kind of on this end. What about you, Javian? Um, so, I mean, just like you guys, a lot of different things. Um, I started re-listening um, to Amy Winehouse, Back to Black album. It just like popped up on my feed and I've, I've listened to the album many times before, but I just re-listened to it for the first time in a while. And it's just like her voice and, and what she does musically, like for someone who's not quote unquote a trained musician, like the way she sings and the musicality that she has, is just like amazing. You know, it's like, that's the yeah. part of music you can't teach. It's hard to teach somebody how to have like that kind of musicality when they're singing or when they're playing. Yep. And she has it and it's like so ingrained in her um so just listening to that album again it's been great and um i was listening to some um of course hawk and hottenberger he just released a new um uh, uh charlie a2 so i'm listening That's to right. that and and it's like man <laughs> it's like jaw dropping because it's like man that guy that's that's the sound you know <laughs> Um, and, the, and the effort he plays with is just like no effort at all. And it's just a beautiful sound and his musicality is just crystal clear, you know? Um, so that's kind of what I've been listening to um, this week or at least the past week and a half or so. So it's been good times, nice. good times. Uh, but before we wrap up, I want to thank uh, Dr. Jason Bergman again for allowing us to interview uh, him. And it's been a great time. We really, really appreciate your time and all the work you're doing, um, not just for your own students, but for ITG and your uh, contribution to the music world and the trumpet world as a whole. Um, and I, I still remember, you know, meeting you for the first time when you were teaching at Southern Miss. And it's like, yeah, this is like a really great guy. And, 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 and Dr. Moore, who's you know, my former teacher spoke very highly of you at the time. It's like this guy's like, he's, he's like this next coming thing. And, um, and it, it and it's definitely like came true and you're, you're doing a lot of wonderful things, um, in your career. So thank you again. We, we truly, truly appreciate you coming on with us. Today. Yes. Well, thank you guys. It was an honor for me. And, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of you guys. I've known you for several years and it's just awesome to see your success and, it makes me happy when, when the good guys get good stuff happening for them. So it's a good thing. All right, well, but thanks for, for inviting me. It was an honor. And, and um, keep going. This is a great thing you're contributing. And, and I can't wait to listen to your other episodes. Awesome. Well, thank you very awesome. much. Um, where can people, if they want to, like, follow you or, you know, kind of keep up with what you're doing, is do you have any, like, social media platforms or websites or anything? Yeah, jasonbergman.com is a website that somewhat is as updated, <laughs> um, but it's got, you know, recordings and, and, and videos and stuff that are there. Um, I, I had been pretty active on social media and I've kind of like, I shut it down recently. I'm taking kind of like a, a mental health break from social media, but I'll I probably get, get back on that next year. And um, so, so there's some stuff on there, but yeah, just, you can always find me somewhere, yeah, you know, awesome. online and, Eventually, I'll be back on Facebook and Instagram, but probably the website, people could get my information there. So, Awesome, awesome. And Tyler, where can people find you on social media? 
Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. If you for Facebook, just type my name in Tyler Duncan, and then uh, Instagram is Tyler Duncan ninety one. Awesome. So no website, none of that yet. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about you, JV? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, JV and Brabham. Uh, Instagram is Nerdy Prof P O F. <laughs> and uh, I have some stuff on YouTube, a YouTube channel there, JV and Brabham. You just type that in and you'll find some of my projects that I've done over the years. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find us. And if you all want to uh, continue to follow us, uh, this podcast, Coffee and Clarks, on Instagram, Facebook, and on Apple Podcasts, um, please rate and subscribe um, on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars if you really like us. And uh, we hope to continue uh, putting out more content in the following weeks and months. So thank you all for listening, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll see you next time.